Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to Matthew chapter 3 for this morning's message and for our time together here today. Today we are looking at a very familiar topic in the Bible. If you know anything about the church or anything about Christianity, my guess is in some way, shape, or form, you likely associate it with the outward practice of baptism. In that context, baptism is a very familiar thing to most of us. At the same time, baptism can be, frankly, a very strange thing for many people. In fact, maybe you're here today, maybe you've never been around the church or been around a church at all. It's a bit odd. If this is your first Sunday, you come to Crossing here today and you look in front of the building and you see this round thing that looks like a very weird, like sci-fi hot tub, it's a little weird, right? I mean, it's strange. What is this thing? What is it all about? And why is it even important? There's a lot of strangeness about it. There's also a lot of confusion about baptism. Sometimes because of our traditions, because of the way in which we were raised, because of our personal preferences or the many ways that we've seen it expressed or experienced, it brings a lot of questions and uncertainty. What is baptism? What does it mean? What is it all about? And why is it important for you today? The truth is, I love what God is doing at Crossland Community Church. I love, it. listen, even if I wasn't the pastor, I love just being a part of this body of believers. I mean, it's an incredible thing. One of the things that I love about Crosslink is the great diversity in this body. The number of people groups, the number of different languages that are spoken, the various backgrounds that are represented. It is a beautiful thing as we come together unified in Christ. Even in the context of the church, many of us today at Crosslink have come from all sorts of different backgrounds, church backgrounds. Some of you grew up Presbyterian, or you grew up Pentecostal, you grew up Brethren, or Mennonite, or Methodist, or Catholic, or Baptist. We come from a great long list of diverse backgrounds. And then there are many of us here today, we're first-generation Christians. You're the first in your family to hear the gospel message of salvation by faith and by grace. You're the first to hear it, to respond, to believe, and to say yes to Jesus, and you literally are changing the entire forecast and future of your family because you're a first-generation follower of Jesus. Here in this one body, there's all this diversity. And as a result of that, baptism can be a very sensitive topic because of things that we've seen or the things that we've seen experienced or expressed along the way. It can be a a place of of a lot of friction, but I'm gonna remind us today, when we come to every matter of life, what is important is not our background. You don't need an Alabama interpretation of baptism today. I'm just being blunt about it. You don't need my my Pentecostal grandmother's interpretation about it. You don't need my free will Baptist father's interpretation about it. You don't need my personal agenda. What we need together today is this. We need what God says about it. When it comes to every matter of our life, we should be living our life not based upon what our grandparents did, what I personally think, what the world says. No, we need to get back to this. What does God say about this in my life? What does he say about baptism? And here's the fact of the matter. The fact of the matter is God has told us everything we need to know in his inspired and errant, infallible book, the word of God. 
This morning, as we look at Matthew chapter three, I wanna preach to you on the subject, biblical baptism. And we're gonna talk about the topic of baptism. And here's why we call it biblical baptism. Because this is not one scripture. It's not one opinion or idea. All throughout, from the beginning of this example in Jesus's illustration, through the rest of the New Testament, all throughout the Bible, we see a common theme, a common expression, a common message, and a common priority. What is biblical baptism? And my hope and prayer today is this. As we hear it, we will either be strengthened in our faith, or if we have not been biblically baptized, we will be pausing to examine. Why not? Why have I not followed the Lord in this way? And my hope is that God will use that to lead us to further fellowship and obedience to him. Matthew chapter three, if you'd stand to your feet for the reading of God's word, we're gonna read all of the chapter here together this morning. The Bible says this. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Aren't you thankful that's not our diet today? Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan and they were being, what's the word? Baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, hey, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Listen to the urgency of this statement. The ax is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. But as for me, I, what's the word? Baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not even fit to remove his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He'll thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him saying, no Lord, I have need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? And Jesus answering said to him, John, permit it at this time for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this incredible passage of scripture, this incredible example that we have in Christ. The same pleasure that his obedience and submission to you brought in that moment I pray that our life, our response, and our obedience would please you today as well. Have your way in us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, you may be seated this morning. Biblical baptism. 
Here in Matthew chapter three, we have the story of how God called John to go and to preach this message of repentance. John was going to really the religious people of the day who knew all about the Old Testament law. They had all sorts of religious rules and even rituals and even man-made components of that. And God called John to go and to proclaim, you need to repent of your sin. You need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And you need to turn to the coming Savior, the Messiah, who's coming, who is mightier than I. There in that moment, one of the ways that the people who followed through the outward public act of baptism. So clear was this a theme baptizer. As we begin to study this passage of scripture and then trace this theme throughout the New Testament, I want you to see this morning five things about biblical baptism. Number one, I want you to consider for a moment the definition of baptism. The definition of baptism. This point answers the question, what does baptism mean? I'm reminded this morning, loud and clear, that words have definitions. And within the use of those words, there are actual factual meanings to the words that we choose. So pastor, I'm not so sure about that. Well, I wanna encourage you to try a little experiment in your personal life this week. Over the next 24 hours, every text that you send, don't type out the text. Instead, use the voice app and send it every time without checking it. And then if you would come back next Sunday and let me know how many strange faces and response and questions you got, I'd love to hear all about it. Because the truth is, if you use that voice app, it's not 100% accurate. It's going to insert some words that you didn't actually mean. Even this morning, I was texting a group of pastors to say, hey guys, I love you. I am praying for you. I hope you have a great day. And then one of the pastors sent back a question. Why are you praying over me, as in P-R-E-Y-I-N-G. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. That is not what I, I meant. The fact is words have definitions and those words together have significant meaning. I remember several years ago, a gentleman who asked to meet with me, he and his, his wife had been attending the church for two or three times. He wanted to get together for a cup of coffee. And so we did. And as we were building a relationship, I just asked a simple question. Well, well how long have y'all been married? And he began to tell me about how they met and how they fell in love and how long they've been together and how happy they really were. But there was something about his expression and his answer that seemed a little lacking. And I said, so tell me, when did you get married? I just assumed he was married because he was older than me, the way he carried himself, the way they looked at each other. I assumed he was married. And he began to explain to me, well, actually, we never got married. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, well, you know, I love her in his own expression. I make love to her and I, I'm committed to her. But I asked him, well, have you ever committed to her like with your words? Have you ever stood before a judge? Have you ever stood before a pastor? Have you ever made a covenant with God to say, listen, I'm gonna love you till, till, till death do us part. I'm gonna to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and health, till death do us part. Have you ever made that commitment? He said, no, of course not. I was like, What? So you're telling me you're married based upon the fact that you feel married is what you're saying. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. That conversation was completely confusing. You know why? Because he had changed the definition of a word by his own sin and by his own hurts and his own past experiences. He tried to twist it, but guess what? God never gave him the authority or the right to change the meaning of the word. No matter how he felt about it, that didn't change how God saw his current living situation. The fact of the matter is words have definitions and within those definitions are meanings. And that is true, which brings us back to the word baptism. The word baptism in the Bible has a very clear, simple definition. The word literally means, according to Strong's Concordance, listen to this, it means to immerse, 
literally to dip under. It implies immersion in contrast, this is Strong's Concordance, in contrast to sprinkle. So emphatic is the definition of baptism by immersion, it literally means, in some translations, to sink. And it's often used to describe the sinking of a ship to the bottom of the ocean. Now, please understand, when we baptize you here, we don't let you sink to the bottom, okay? Just want you to know that. Some of us oh, pastor, we expect that. You're a preacher, you've gotta say that's the meaning. Even our conservative friends at Wikipedia defined it this way. The same word has the general usage of immersion or going under. In fact, in that culture, it was used of a piece of hot iron that would be taken out of the fire and then would be placed in cold water completely to cool. It was also used to describe a piece of cloth that had no color and then it would be immersed completely in a dye so that its color would change. It's a complete immersion, if you will. God completely gave it a new application when he raised up this guy by the name of John the Baptist to preach about repentance and to preach about turning to Jesus. And the Bible says that John clarified this means of expression was not a man-made idea. It was not a man-made opinion. This was not the movement of some denomination. No, listen, he says, God sent me to baptize in, immerse, if you will, to baptize in water. So clear is this the biblical illustration that the Bible says this about John in John 3, 23. John was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there and people were coming and were being baptized. If God wanted us to practice baptism in any other means, he had ample opportunity to do so, but he never did. In fact, in the New Testament, for example, there are six different times that there's a Greek word used for the term, our English term, sprinkle, but it is never used in reference to baptism. In addition to that, 15 times there's a Greek word used for the word pour, like pouring water, if you will. But not one time in all the New Testament is it used in reference to baptism. In fact, you can study the entirety of the Bible and you will never find baptism expressed in any other way but by immersion. In fact, did you know, historically we know loud and clear, the only time there was even an acknowledgement of any other method of baptism besides immersion was an extra biblical resource nearly 100 years after the birth of Christ. And it was not commonly, the other methods were not commonly accepted until the fourth century when the Roman Catholic Church accepted it. You know why they did? Because so many people were being converted, they didn't have time, if you will, for immersion. But don't let that fool you. Who was in control at the time? Constantine. How was he calling people to convert? Not by faith, but by force. So all these people being converted had to be baptized as quickly as possible, so let's find some other means than immersion. What I'm saying to you is simply this. God's definition for baptism literally means to immerse. It's only man that's twisted that and polluted it. Number two, I want you to see the demonstration of baptism. All right, so God's defined it, but how then does he demonstrate it? God's definition should be enough. God's word and the meaning of it should be sufficient. But God goes on much further step to give us a real life demonstration of what baptism looks like. We've read about that here in Matthew chapter three, as Jesus goes to John in the Jordan River to be baptized. Maybe you read this account of Jesus and his baptism in the Jordan River, and maybe, maybe our mindset is kind of like, wow, isn't that nice? Jesus was baptized, pretty cool. I've heard about this before, I've read it before. What a neat moment for Jesus to experience. But don't forget who Jesus is. Jesus is God in flesh. 
Jesus is so certain of his own deity and equality with the Father that he would say this in John 14, verse nine. He who has seen me has seen the Father. John chapter 10, verse 30, he would say, I and the Father are one. And in John chapter eight, listen to this statement. Jesus says this, I do, what's the next word? Say that with me, I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak the things as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus said, I do nothing of my own initiative. You know what that means? Who led Jesus to the Jordan River that day? Who led Jesus to get down into the water with John the Baptist that day? Who led Jesus in that moment to be baptized publicly for all to see and to witness what was going on? It was God the Father who led him to do that. In other words, God not only defined baptism, he demonstrated for us the desire that he has for us in the way that we would publicly identify with him. Picture the scene for just a moment. John the, John the Baptist is there. He's preaching about repentance. He's looking at all these individuals and listen, you've sinned against God. You need to put your trust in the coming savior. You need to repent of your sin and turn from them. Bear fruit that's consistent with that. And the way you outwardly demonstrate what's happening in your heart is through baptism. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. Jesus is the one that John has already said, hey, one's coming after me who's mightier than me. One's coming after me. He's so perfect, holy, righteous, and true. I'm not even worthy of taking off his sandal. And here comes Jesus getting into the water. The Bible says that John tried to prevent him. No, 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 Jesus. You, you don't need this baptism. You're perfect. You're holy. You're not a sinner. In fact, he goes on to say, Jesus, you should be baptizing me. Isn't it amazing that even the best of us, like John the Baptist, in the presence of Jesus, we suddenly realize how unworthy we are, what a sinner we are. No, no, Jesus, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. I'm the sinner. I'm the one in need of grace. I'm the one who needs to put my trust in you, Jesus. But Jesus says something interesting, doesn't he? The Bible says that Jesus looks at John in verse 15 and says, John, permit it at this time. John, I'm doing something right now that you don't fully understand. The Father has a plan and a purpose in this moment that's greater than you can grasp or even imagine, John. This is a specific God-ordained moment permitted at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That word us is not a reference to Jesus and John, it's a reference to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is this. He's saying, John, I have a greater purpose in this moment. I know you don't see it now. I know you don't understand it now, but the Trinity, we're all together in unity. We're working to proclaim my purpose in coming to this earth. What was his purpose? Jesus tells us loud and clear in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus understood here in this moment as he is getting ready to begin his earthly ministry, the very first thing he would do publicly is this. By going through a baptism for sinners, from the very beginning of his ministry, he is identifying with the very ones he came to save. Jesus would say it this way. I came not to heal the whole. They're already whole. I came to heal the ones who's wounded, the one who's sick, the one who's diseased. I came to rescue them from their sin. In other words, he was identifying with those who had no righteousness so that in him they could be righteous. Listen to this. John MacArthur says it this way. This was the first step in the redemptive plan that Jesus came to fulfill. 
He who had no sin took his place among those who had no righteousness. He who was without sin submitted to a baptism for sinners. In this act, the savior of the world took his place among the sinners of the world. Jesus' baptism here in this moment is not a depiction that he had sinned, but instead that he was coming to rescue sinners and to set for them a pattern by which they'd follow as they would turn from sin and turn to him. In fact, so clear was Jesus' understanding of his baptism that Jesus, for the rest of the gospel accounts, only speaks of baptism twice, personally. They're in Mark chapter 10 and Luke chapter 12, and both times, he's not actually referring to his water baptism. He's actually speaking of the suffering that he would endure on the cross as he was beaten, as his beard was ripped from his face, as he was stripped of his clothes, as he was mocked and condemned, rejected by men. When his entire body was immersed in the judgment as he bore our sins, he says, listen, this is the baptism. I know I'm gonna bear the sins of the world. I'm gonna be immersed, if you will, in them. Here in this moment, as Jesus is being baptized in the water, he understands this is but a picture of what he's going to experience so that all sinners can be saved and be set free. What I'm saying to you this morning is that Jesus gave his personal example, according to Mark chapter one, verse nine. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as soon as he came up out of the water, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended like lightning on, like lighting on him like a dove. And then the voice came from heaven, the voice of the Father. This is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. It was an affirmation that what he had done brought glory to the Father. This was the Father's plan. This is the Father's demonstration even for us today. I wanna remind us today. If Jesus' submission to the will of the Father and his demonstrating baptism by identifying even with sinners, if that brought that kind of pleasure from the Father, don't you know it still does the same when we obey God's leading in our life? The demonstration of baptism is loud and clear. It was his personal example, but did you also know as Jesus demonstrated baptism, it was also his public example? We don't talk about this a whole lot, but listen to John chapter three, verse 22 and 26 about Jesus' own ministry. It says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea and there he was spending time with them. Listen to what Jesus is doing and what's the word? Baptizing. Oh, so not only was Jesus baptized, but he was also baptizing people who repented of their sins and followed him. Absolutely. In fact, so clear is this that John the Baptist, his disciples saw what was happening. And they got a little suspicious. Or as a teenager said today, a little sus, okay? <laughs> this is shady. They got a little jealous about it. Listen to what the Bible says. They go to John the Baptist and here's what they say. Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you testified, behold, Jesus is baptizing and all are coming to him. What are we gonna do about this, John? I mean, this Jesus guy over here, this guy that you've identified as the savior of the world, everybody's coming to him now. They're not coming to, our baptism numbers are low all of a sudden. <laughs> what are we gonna do about this? And John says to them, this is our English, our translation today. Guys, I've just been the best man at the wedding. Jesus is the groom and he's come to capture his bride. And as the best man, I'm watching this and I'm watching this union unfold. My joy is full. I've done my job. Look at what's happening. What a celebration this is. And it's in that context that John says at the end of John chapter three, he must increase, but I must decrease. 
What a powerful affirmation that God has given. What a powerful, as Jonathan, listen, it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Rejoice, guys, because what God is doing is only what he can do. Number three, I want you to see the directions of baptism. The directions of baptism. Did you know, not only did God define baptism, not only did God demonstrated it, but did you know he also commanded it? Oh my goodness, he commanded it. That's exactly right. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, we call it the Great Commission. Listen to what the Bible says. Jesus speaks, and it says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Every Christian should love this passage of scripture. I hope you love all the Bible, but we should love this passage of scripture. Our mission here at Crossing is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of us get excited. Oh, that's right, man. We gotta go into all the world. I mean, every nation of the world, we're gonna go and make disciples of all places. Hallelujah, we should get excited about that. Many of us get excited about the latter part. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What an encouragement to know that Jesus is always with us. We're never separated from his presence. Hallelujah, what a merciful, gracious Savior. But in the midst of the excitement, we often miss that little nugget, don't we? This answers the question, who is to be baptized? And the answer is this. It is all who are disciples of Jesus. All who are followers of Christ. All who believe in him. All who turn from their sin and turn to Jesus as Savior. The Bible says going to all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when you and I hear that good news of salvation and we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the way that we publicly tell that to people, the way we publicly demonstrate what God has done in our heart and life is through the outward practice and action of baptism. That's why Jesus commanded it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In fact, all throughout the Bible, we have this pattern of hearing the good news, believing in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and then outwardly demonstrating that through baptism. Remember John chapter three where it talks about Jesus baptizing and how entire John the Baptist's disciples got, got jealous about it all? The key theme of that entire chapter is the importance of faith. John chapter three, verse 16, the familiar verse says it this way, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever does what? Say it with me, does what? believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. John chapter three, verse 36, he who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. God is saying, listen, all who believe in Jesus Christ, all who turn from their sin and turn to Jesus to be their savior, all should outwardly proclaim that reality through the outward practice of baptism. In other words, baptism is an outward symbol of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've often illustrated it like that of a wedding ring. June 21st, 2003, I said, I do to my wife. She said, I do to me. And she gave me a ring, an outward symbol to remind me that I'm married and for me to tell others I'm married as well. It is an outward depiction that I belong to another and she belongs to me. Baptism is our outward way of saying, yes, I am with Jesus Christ. I've been forgiven, I've been saved, my life is not my own, I belong to him. This incredible moment of demonstration tells us loud and clear this biblical pattern. In fact, I wanna encourage you 
to study this week the book of Acts. It's a part of your weekly reading guide and your worship guide. Somebody just recently said, man, those scriptures go along with the message. That's exactly right. They do every single week, okay? <laughs> Been that way for five and a half, almost six years, okay? So just, just keep reading your Bible. But what you'll find is this biblical pattern. Hearing the good news, believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and most of them immediately being baptized. That was the case in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. Peter literally said, repent and be baptized. Each one of you, verse 41 says, so those who received his word were baptized and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. Acts chapter eight, Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip sharing the gospel with him. And the Bible says they're going along in the chariot. The eunuch looks and says, man, hey, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, listen, you gotta believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again. He said, I believe. And the Bible says they stopped, they went down to the water and immediately he was baptized. And Acts chapter 16, that, uh, the Philippian jailer, he was listening to the message that Paul and Silas were sharing with him. And he said, listen, what prevents me? And they said, nothing. So immediately that very night, he and his whole household, they believed and they were baptized. That is the gospel account, not only in Acts 2, not only in Acts chapter 8, not only in Acts chapter 16, it was true of Saul in Acts chapter 9. It was true of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. It was true of Lydia in Acts chapter 16. It was true of all the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19. The point is simply this. They heard the news, they believed in Jesus, and the outward way they demonstrated that was through biblical baptism. Brings a question, doesn't it? Here's the first question. Have you believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The only persons who should not be baptized are those who have not believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Many people, especially in good old Bible Belt, Virginia, go to church every single week or watch online every week. We help our neighbor in need. We try to do good. We give here and there. But those are merely good works. We are only saved by grace through faith. So here are the first question. Have you believed in Jesus? And secondly, if you have believed in Jesus, have you been biblically baptized? By God's definition, by God's demonstration, by God's direction and command. Fourth thing I want you to see about baptism is simply this. I want you to see the depiction of baptism. Say, so pastor, why in the world is this important? I mean, man, it's, it's 20, 2022, like we, we can do a lot of things different, a lot of things cool, and we can do a lot of things with technology. Not Like why is this even important? And the simple reason why is because baptism is not just about the tub. Thank God it is not about Rockingham County water, okay? But the symbolic act of baptism represents something much greater. There's a much deeper meaning than just having it be a public thing on a Sunday morning. And that is that our baptism proclaims a clear picture of what Jesus has done for us. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture or a sign that didn't make sense. Sometimes we're driving down the road and we'll see some things, we'll see some signs that frankly, it's contradictory, like it's hard to make sense. What in the world does this mean? It's important for us that in things like baptism, that we clearly represent what it actually means. I was thinking about that this week and thought, man, you know, there's some great ways to illustrate that. We're gonna show you a few pictures of some signs. Tell me if you can make sense of this. Let's see the first one. Anybody have any idea what in the world that means? All right, show us the second one, if you will. 
Entrance only, do not enter. I have no idea what in the world that means. Third, I love this. Soccer not allowed. Soccer may only be played in archery range. <laughs> I've coached soccer a lot of years and well, I'll just leave that as it is, okay? All right, and then the final, tables are for eating customers only. That is not my diet. That's not the, not the way I read that. It's important that our signs clearly represent what they mean. What does baptism represent? It represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter six says it this way. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, the way we depict it should demonstrate the fact that Jesus died, Jesus buried, and Jesus rose again. That's exactly what happens when you practice baptism by immersion. Jesus, the Bible says, was lifted up on a cross where he was breathing his last and he cried out, it is finished. He was giving his life for the sins of the world, but he didn't stay on that cross. They took his body off of the cross and they laid it into a tomb where his body lay for three days. And guess what we celebrated last Sunday and hopefully celebrate every single day that on the third day, what did Jesus do? He rose again from the grave. That's why even baptism by immersion, when the person gets into the pool, we ask them, have you believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And they say, yes, I have. And as we literally, as they're standing before us, as we're getting ready to dunk them in the water, we say buried in the likeness of his death. It's a picture of what Jesus did when he died and was buried. And when we bring them up out of the water, we say raised to walk in the newness of life found in the resurrection. It is a depiction of what Jesus has done for us. Oh, but don't miss this. It's also a powerful picture that guess what? Just as Jesus died and was buried and rose again from the grave, today we have new life in him. That means for us today, the old me is dead. The old me is gone. Like Paul says in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live in the life I now live. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Baptism water does not save you. The outward practice does not save you. The very moment you call upon Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, in that glorious moment, you are saved. Baptism is just the outward sign to say, guess what? I'm not who I used to be. The old me is gone. I'm a new creation in Christ, living through the resurrection of Jesus. That's what it's a depiction of. We are not our own. We now belong to him. Which brings me to a final point. If you're still with me, would you say, all right. I want you to see the decision of baptism. We can talk about it till we're blue in the face. We could go through the rest of the book of Acts and take our time doing it. We could go through all of Paul's letters and take our time doing it. We could go through John's letters and we could take our time doing it. But here's the bottom line. God defined baptism. God demonstrated baptism. God gave directions and clear instructions about baptism. God even shows us what it depicts as we follow the Lord in baptism. But it all boils down to this one simple fact. It brings us all to a place of decision. Even John the Baptist here in Matthew chapter three was faced with a decision. He's trying to prevent Jesus from being baptized. Jesus says, no, you gotta permit it at this time. God's doing something right now. I want you to know, John, there's a point here that's taking place that people need to know and see. 
And at Jesus's words and instruction, the Bible says that John permitted him. John made the choice to obey the words of Jesus, even though he didn't fully understand it at that moment. The fact of the matter is every single person who has heard the gospel message and has believed then faces a decision. Do I keep my faith quiet or do I let it be known? Do, do I keep it hush hush and don't do anything publicly, just, just something in my heart and mind? Or do I demonstrate it publicly? Do I disobey God or do I obey God? Do I make my own way? Or do I follow the Lord's example? There's a decision to be made. And every single one of those passages of scripture in the book of Acts, they heard, many believed, and those who believed were then having a decision. Say yes to Jesus by obedience or reject and miss the opportunity to publicly demonstrate their faith in Christ. You know, it brings me to the point today of not being so much concerned about the book of Acts or Philip and the eunuch and Peter and the people being baptized on the day of Pentecost or even that moment with John the Baptist. Really, my biggest concern today is you. What is your decision? What is God calling you to do today? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior or are you just playing church? If you've been saved, you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, have you taken that next step of obedience, publicly demonstrating your faith in Christ through baptism? What is God calling you to do today? My hope and prayer today is that we will wrestle with the question that is asked in Acts chapter 22. I find it very interesting. The last time the word baptism is used in that book of Acts, it is used in reference to a question and then it is followed up with a direct instruction. Listen to this, Acts 22, verse 16. Here's the question. Why do you delay? Here's the instruction. Get up and be, what's the next word? Baptized. You know, baptism is a very simple thing. It's been clearly defined it's been clearly demonstrated, it is clearly directed, and it has a very clear message. What is not so clear is our decision. We complicate it, don't we? We let a lot of things get in the way. My hope and prayer today is that every single one of us know Christ is our Lord and Savior, and that we follow him and publicly say, yes, I am with Jesus. I belong to him. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.